About 25 years ago, my friend used to run a Sunday school. And as a part of her rallying call to the kids to say we're ready to start the session, she'd start walking up and down and she'd say, who's got a plan? And she would expect the kids to come back with, God's got a plan. And she'd say it again, she'd say it three times, who's got a plan? And the kids would come back with, God's got a plan. And then she would say, who's, and God's got a plan for who? And all the kids would go, for me. And this morning, I'm posing the question, or the questions, in fact, do you ever wonder if God really does have a plan for your life? Do you ever wonder if you've missed it because of something you did or you didn't do, or because of something that you are or that you aren't? And do you wonder, when you're going through bad times, is this part of the plan? Well, I can tell you, you're not alone in thinking those things if you do think those things. And I've thought those things on occasion, especially when I'm elbow deep in washing up. Is this really part of God's plan? And you might really think, you might think when you're snowed under at work and you've got a deadline to meet. Am I really in God's plan? Is this really what he had in mind when he said he'd got a plan for my life? So let's, you're not alone, and fortunately we're not alone outside in the Bible as well. And I want to look at a lady called Naomi in the book of Ruth and what she feels. And we're going to look at chapter one, which Warren Wearsby calls the weeping chapter. And when you look in it, there is a lot of weeping involved. And so it's a chapter about broken hearts. And some of us here might have broken hearts for one reason or another. So, I'm reading from Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Killian. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, right at the start of this book, we need to put it into its context. And the writer does that for us by straight away saying, in the day when the judges ruled. So for those of you who've been doing the Bible course, we've got our first five books of the Bible, which are the law or the Torah, and then we have Joshua, who takes the people out of the desert into their promised land, and then Judges is supposed to be about all um, the people inheriting their inheritance, the land that they were promised, and driving out the peoples that were already in that land, and taking possession of that land. And it's into this time that the story of Ruth occurs. Now, in Judges, it's a very cyclical book, and they get into this cycle of things where the people obey the Lord, so things go well. Then they forget, and because things are going well, then they start to drift and slip, and they begin to sin. And then things go ever so badly, and they're attacked, or they have famines, or there are wars, or something bad things happen to them. 
and they are oppressed. And so then, at that point, they call out to the Lord to deliver them. And God delivers them by sending them a judge, who's more like a political and um, warrior-type leader, who gets them out of the mess. Then the people obey the Lord for a while, and things go well. And then they're back on the cycle again, and it occurs over and over and over in the book of Judges. And the last verse of the book of Judges is that in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. And it's into that that this story of Ruth occurs as well. And to draw a parallel to that, our lives are not that much different We don't have a national covenant with God, so we can't say, you know, that when things are going wrong, we cry out to God and he sends a deliverer and then the nation's all happy again and things are all hunky-dory. But we can say that, um, like Israel, they it it says he had no king. Well, actually, Israel did have a king. Israel's king was God himself. They just didn't acknowledge that. And not a lot has changed. God is still king. God is still in control. God still has a plan. But we're living in those times where people don't acknowledge that. They live as though we have no king. And they do, and they, everybody does what they see fit. Or they do what they think is right in their own eyes. And you often have this conversation with people and people are always saying things, well, that might be right for you, but it's not right for me. You know, oh, that might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. So our times are not all that different to those times in the Judges and those times in which the Book of Ruth is set. So there's a famine in the land. And they go to Moab. Now, Bethlehem actually means house of bread. So it's one of those things where Bethlehem is the house of bread, but there is no bread to eat. And this should have been a wake-up call to the people of Israel. Um, We're not that far away from where they had um, in Deuteronomy 28. There's a whole list of blessings and curses and covenants, and they're still living under that covenant. And in Deuteronomy 28, it says that if you will fully obey the Lord your God, and it tells you lots of things, so I'm just pulling out some of the points, that the fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed, your enemies will be defeated, and God will send a blessing on your barns, and he will open the heavens to send rain on the land. But if you do not obey the Lord your God, then your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land. The sky will be bronze above you and the ground iron beneath you and the rain will turn into dust and you'll be defeated by your enemies. And that's exactly what was happening to the people of Israel. So, And they're in this famine. So they should have realized what was going on. And at that point, decide, you know, started saying to their neighbors and to their friends, to their countrymen, to their leaders, we're in a mess because we're not obeying the Lord and we need to start to obey the Lord again. But they don't do that. They know that there is food down in Moab, 
which is an enemy nation, and one of the nations that often oppress them or stand against them, and they decide that they will go down to Moab. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. The other thing that... Perhaps it, it seems to me that once you make a bad decision... You go on to make a lot of bad decisions. One just needs to the next, to the next, to the next. So they've decided to go down to Moab, which is not a good decision, but it seems a sensible decision, especially if your family is hungry, you want to go and get food for them. But they were warned that they should not intermarry with the nations around them, and they were commanded not to do so. So when... um, the sons decide to marry Moabite women. They are breaking another one of God's commands and they're making another bad decision. But God still has a plan and he still has a plan through even in our bad decisions. Now for us, it's quite simple. It's very, very simple for us. If we know we've made a bad decision, then we can confess it for what it is and say that it's sin. Because in 1 John 9, we have the wonderful promise that if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And even though we can be forgiven of those sins, Sometimes we still have to live with those consequences of the sins that we've committed. But there's a promise in there as well for us in that. In Romans 8, in verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So if we know God... If we've committed our lives to him, if we've made a mistake, if we've committed a sin, we are able to do something about it immediately. Or if we make more mistakes and more bad decisions, at some point we're going to wake up to what we've done. And at some point, we, it's only a step away to turn back to God and say, okay, I've blown it. We confess our sins and the promise is he will forgive us. He may not release us from the consequences. We may have to work through those. But God will work in our lives. And at some point, there will be some good come out of all of those bad decisions. So the sons have now died and the girls are left on their own. So this is Naomi. When she heard in Moab... The Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, 
as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. That's a really big decision for Naomi to make. She's been living in um, Moab for over 10 years because the sons were married for 10 years before they died. So she's been there in over 10 years. She's still alive, so they've clearly not um, attacked her or made her life a misery. Um, She's safe. Traveling in those days was not safe. And traveling as a woman or as a group of women was definitely not safe. But they decide that they're going to go go back to Israel, go back to Bethlehem. And I'm not sure if it was the culture of the time, but the two daughters-in-law decide that they're going to go with her. Maybe because they feel a duty to her, or maybe it was the custom of the time that once you were married, whether your husband lived or died, you were still bound to that family. Or it could have been another thing. It could have been that throughout the 10 years, these Moabite women have seen how Naomi has lived, that she still continued to follow God in a foreign land. And they think, yeah, and we love Naomi and we want to stay with her. So they, they weep and they say they will go back with her to her people. But Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for you than me, for me than you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. So in this passage, Naomi is um, relating to them the law of her land, the law of Israel, the law of God, that said, um, if you married a man into his family and that man died, then it was obligated of the brother of the man, if he had any, to take on your widow and marry her, to keep the family line and name going, and also for inheritance and land rights. And so she's citing this and saying, you know, I haven't got any more sons, and it's virtually impossible that I will have any more sons. And, um, you know, and even if I did have a son today or in nine months time are you really going to hang around until it is what I don't know how old they got married 18 20 30 what age they got married Um, are you going to wait all those years for another husband I don't think so you know you've got a better chance for you to you know I'm releasing you from your obligation you need to stay with your people And the fact that she starts, she says, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. 
the thing is, with the Jewish mindset, they see everything as coming from God. If it's good, it comes from God. If it's bad, it comes from God. You know, um, in, in the book of Job, Job quite just says, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, because he acknowledges that God is sovereign over everything. And although Naomi is saying it's bitter for her, because she believes that the Lord's hand has gone out against her, She's saying, she's asserting the fact that she believes that God is in control over everything and that he could have stopped her sons and her husband from dying, but he didn't. And so she, and I don't think at this point it's an accusation. I don't think it's a blame thing. I think that turns to blame later on. But at this point, she's not blaming God. She's just stating the fact God is in control. God has a plan, and somehow this is all part of the plan. But I don't like the plan. And quite often I don't like the plan as well. And again they weep. I did say this was the weeping chapter. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And it seems to me that it's a sensible decision for Orpah to change her mind and stay with the people that she's always known, stay in the land that she's always known, um, where there will be an opportunity or possible opportunities for her to marry again and have a family and and live a, um, a, rel- a relatively easy life. But Ruth still clings to Naomi. At which Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now at the time, it was, it was thought that each region had its own god or gods. And while the Bible, well, The Bible doesn't acknowledge that there are other gods. It's just stating that there is this belief that there are regional gods. So she needs to go back to them, go back to all that she's known. But Ruth replies, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. So when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen those words on a poster, and they look very nice. And it looks... um, it's. It's a very nice, loyal statement to make. But actually, I think it's more than that. I think this is Ruth's conversion experience. I think this is Ruth's sinner's prayer. This is Ruth nailing her colors to the mast. She is totally turning away from her her old life, and she's going to be walking into a new life. She's turning away from the gods that she served before, And she's turning towards the Lord, 
who will deal with her ever so severely if she ever breaks. But that was a common oath that they often say, said in those days, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if. And it was just an oath that they took in those days. But this is Ruth nailing her colours to the mast. No matter how, even though Naomi has been wrong to go down to Moab and live there, God is still working out his plan, but she's lived as a faithful witness in Moab. And Ruth has seen that, and Ruth still wants to be part of that. And Ruth wants that for herself. And this is Ruth saying, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm coming with you no matter what. I also think, you know, that it might have entered Naomi's head as well while they're traveling a little way along the line that there is another law that she knows about that says Ruth's a Moabite. She is not allowed into the assembly and her descendants all the way down to the 10th generation are not allowed into the assembly of God's people. But I think, you know, God is, this, it tells us in the Bible that the God is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is a massive hurdle to overcome to say that you are not allowed to be part of God's family. But the Bible also says that any, God says in John six thirty seven that anyone who comes to me, I will, in, I will never drive away or cast out. And Ruth is saying she is coming to God. The law is saying she's a Moabite and she can't. But God is saying, if you sincerely come to me, then you can. And it's the same for any of us. You know, we may think there is something that we've done or not done, or some mistake we've made, or Maybe it was where we were born, or how we were born, or what our parents did, or because you're a woman, or because you're divorced, or because of this, or because of that. We can think of lots of things that we think may disqualify us, but God says, no, you're not disqualified. God has still got a plan, and he can still work through those things that we think disqualify us. And the, we don't know this yet, and it would be it would come in chapter four, and at the end of chapter four. But really, this law that says she can't enter the assembly, all the way down to the tenth generation. We need to look at it that Ruth is no longer a Moabite. We are a new creation. She has made her stand. Um, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says for us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And this is what's happened for Ruth. So Ruth, will find out later on that Ruth does meet someone and marry him. And he becomes the father of a son called Obed, who becomes the father of a son called Jesse who becomes, four generations later, 
the father of a son called David, who becomes king of Israel, who is also the father of Solomon, who builds the temple, which is where the Israelites have their assembly in a permanent building at that point. So the fact that she's excluded still doesn't... It might have been in Naomi's mind, but it's not in Ruth's mind. And I don't think it's in God's mind because she's clearly stating, I'm done with that part of my life. It's over and done with. You know, when I die, don't even bring my bones back and bury them here because that's not who I am anymore. I am with you, Naomi, and we are going back to Bethlehem and to be part of your people and to worship your God who is going to become my God and to be part of his family and I'm going to become part of that family. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them and the women explained, can this be Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because Naomi means pleasant, but Mara means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, I think she has moved from acknowledging that God is completely in control and that God has a plan. And now I think she is blaming God. She's saying, well, look, we went down to Moab and I had a husband and two sons and life was okay and there was food to eat. But So I went down full, but I've come back empty because my husband and my two sons have died. And, you know, and you've brought this upon me. And what I like about this is that, you know, even when we tell God we don't like his plan, or we, or we throw these horrible accusations at God, he doesn't strike us down dead immediately, even though he would be well within his rights to do so. But he doesn't. He still cares for Naomi, as we would see in the other chapters if we were going to look at the other chapters, but we're not doing that today. And he still has a plan that he is still working out. And so Naomi returns from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Sometimes we need to return to Bethlehem or to the place where we made the bad decision, or the place where we made a mistake, and put it right. And this is about Naomi returning, and it's starting to put things right. She doesn't, maybe she doesn't see it like that. She sees it as all hardship, and it's all terrible and everything. But it's the first step. For God to be working out his plan. So coming back to our original first questions. Do you ever wonder if God's got a plan for your life? Well he has. 
And even in the humdrum and the washing up and the accounts and everything else that we've got to do and our daily lives and jobs and, our, and through sickness and through health, is still unfolding that plan. Or are you still at the point where you're doing as you see fit? You know, you don't want to follow God's plan. You want to live your own life. Do you feel like you've taken a wrong path or made a wrong decision? Well, it's easy to turn back. Or do you feel that your life is very bitter right now? God has still got a plan. God is still working out that plan.